And let the church say amen. Isn't it great to be in church? You may be seated. I guess you get to your... If you can't, maybe you better stand back up. <laughs> what a joy to be in the house of the Lord tonight. I don't know about you, but I am still suffering ramifications that could be negative, but I made them positive. The craziest thing I've ever seen in my life is when the United States government said we couldn't go to church. That was about the nuttiest thing I've ever heard in my life. It's like, is this USA or USSR? I was beginning to wonder where we were when they were saying, you can't go to church. Governor of North Carolina said you couldn't have more than 10 people in church. One Easter, I preached to 10 people. That's quite a difference. I know Easter is right here, and this place is going to be jam-packed. If you're expecting a jam-packed house for Easter, clap your hands. I apologize for disrupting your schedule. Absolutely out of our control. Airline travel is either, I do a lot of it, it's either a dream or a nightmare. Now, when it goes bad, it goes real bad. But when it's good, it's real good. And uh, I apologize. I regret we couldn't be here to see this great church on Sunday morning because I know uh, that's when you see the church. A lot of times, that's when you see the church on Sunday morning. But the saints are here tonight. Saints are here tonight. My wife and I are thrilled to be here with this church of iconic heritage in the apostolic movement. I will take just a moment and say what a joy it is to be with, and, and this is the way we're having to reference each other now, and that is Bishop, Bishop, Bishop David Gilbert. And all of my friends are now bishops. Does that tell you anything? And I'm so thrilled to be here with the Gilberts. Indulge me just a moment. I'll try not to be real lengthy in the word tonight, but there's a, there's a connection here. There's a history here. My wife have, has known the Gilberts before she and I ever met. Teenagers in Waco, Texas, when they were living in, in Temple, I believe. Is that right? Colleen, that's right, Colleen. And they went to youth functions as teenagers together that many years. You know, there's nothing greater than apostolic longevity and continuation, generational continuation of apostolic truth. And so then we met in Bible college, and they were living in Plano, Texas, when we preached a revival there for Brother R.E. Johnson. And uh, that was right after the merger. I'm just being cynical. It was a long time ago. Some of you may not know what the merger was, but that was a long time ago. Formation of the United Pentecostal Church. And uh, then, of course, his mom and dad were in North Carolina for quite a while. And not only that, his dad preached to me when I was a Bible college student at Texas Bible College. And that's the, that's the connection that we have. And then their ministry has been anointed and faithful and apostolic and, and used mightily of the Lord. One of the most dramatic conversions we have seen in our ministry in Raleigh, North Carolina. 
And uh, it's hard for me to believe, Bishop, that I have not pastored that church in eight years. I have not been the pastor of the Temple of Pentecost in eight years. My son-in-law, Brian Ballestero, is the pastor of the Temple of Pentecost in Raleigh. And I am the bishop, which I won't go into all that right now. Maybe another night we got a little more time. What that all means. But uh, what a history this church is. You, you are blessed with an inherent, multiplied, ancestral blessing on this church. You need to clap your hands for an ancestral blessing. A multiplied, compounded anointing. Indeed you are. And what a joy it is to be here. And also I'm just thrilled that your pastor, Brother Gilbert and his wife, have assumed in his father's footsteps. There's no way that you can adequately acknowledge how blessed you are to have that lineage continuing on. That is a marvelous, marvelous blessing. I do believe if God, God would really smile upon the Levitical priesthood continuing even in the New Testament church. By that I mean, I think it's great that preacher's sons become preachers. Because if not, what a waste for them to be in that home and hear all these preachers, be around all them and, and, and see an actual sermon lived out. And I want to commend your pastor and his wife for continuing in the same pattern of apostolic ministry, revival, evangelism, and church growth. Give your pastor and his wife a great big hand right now. Let's all stand for the reading of the word. It's a beautiful thing to see it, and I'm thrilled to be here this evening. The book of Esther, chapter number 9, and verse 17. The book of Esther, chapter number 9, verse 17. What a difference a day makes. We drove over here yesterday from Dallas. I, I was going 10 mile an hour because I couldn't even see the car in front of me. It was raining so hard. And the lightning, that white lightning, that scary lightning, was coming all the way from heaven to the ground. That's the stuff that tears stuff up. And we were watching it coming over here. But thank God we got here just before the storm hit the Dallas airport. I mean, it was God was favoring us to get here. All right, let's go to the word of the Lord. We're reading tonight out of the book of Esther, chapter 9, verse 17. On the 13th day of the month, Adar, on the 14th day of the same rested day, and made it a day of feasting and gladness. But the Jews that were at Shushan assembled together on the 13th day thereof, and on the 14th day thereof, and on the 15th day of the same, they rested and made it a day of feasting and gladness. Therefore the Jews of the villages that dwelt in the unwalled towns made the 14th day of the month Adar a day of gladness and feasting and a good day and of sending portions one to another. And Mordecai wrote these things and sent letters unto all the Jews that were in all the provinces of the king Ahasuerus, both nigh and far, to establish this among them that they should keep the 14th day of the month Adar and the 15th day of the same year, yearly. Are you tired of hearing that? Boy, were they ever more driving those dates home? They wanted to make sure that you honor these dates. Every year you are to honor these dates. As the days wherein the Jews rested from their enemies, and the month which turned unto them from sorrow to joy, and from mourning into a good day, that they should make them days of feasting and joy and of sending portions one to another and gifts to the poor 
It was almost like a Jewish Christmas. They were celebrating with high tones of celebration. And the Jews undertook to do as they had begun and as Mordecai had written unto them. Because Haman, the son of the Hamadatha, the Agagite, anybody want to read for me tonight? The enemy of all the Jews had devised against the Jews to destroy them and had cast, now this word is P-U-R. I researched it. It looks like it would be pronounced pure, but it is actually pronounced poor and hath cast poor, that is the lot, to consume them and to destroy them. But when Esther came before the king, he commanded by letters that his wicked device, which he devised against the Jews, should return upon his own head, and that he and his sons should be hanged on the gallows. For those of you that might not be as familiar with your Bible as you will be later on, let me say that this was an attempt by an evil, selfish, greedy man named Haman to totally annihilate the Jewish nation. Just because Mordecai would not bow down to him when all the others were bound down, he got so mad that he was willing to kill every Jew alive to get vengeance on one man named Mordecai. Wherefore they call these days Purim, after the name of Pur. Therefore all the words of this letter and of that which they had seen concerning this matter which had come unto them. The Jews ordained and took upon them and upon their seed and upon all such joined themselves unto them so as it should not fail and they're driving this thing home that they would keep these two days according to their writing and according to their appointed time every year if I say every year. every year and that these days should be remembered kept throughout every generation every family every province every city and that these days of Purim should not fail from among the Jews nor the memorial of them perish from their seed Tonight, I want to preach on the subject, the Feast of Purim. The Feast of Purim. If you would, put your Bibles down, and let's give the Lord a great big hand clap right now. ask you tonight, has the Lord been good to you? Has the Lord been good to you? Then let's do one more thing before you sit down. Let's imagine that you've got the devil in this hand. I'm here to tell you, there's nothing that upsets hell more than an apostolic, owl-running, tongue-talking, spiritual church that loves to dance and give God glory. Praise His name. I will preach quickly this evening, but let me tell you this. You may be seated. I am highly blessed and favored above my deserving to travel the length and the breadth and the width of the apostolic church. I've been privileged to preach in the largest churches, the largest meetings in our movement. I've been privileged to preach in the smallest churches, from the east to the west, the north to the south. And in my travels in these last couple of years, I have discerned something, felt something 
that has really upset me. A friend of mine, when he faces a situation like this, he says, There's, this is something that's happened. Somebody needs to say something. Well, I rise tonight just to say something. Bishop, when you're 73, you're not trying out for anything. So you have an unfiltered, untethered pulpit. Because you're at liberty to preach whatever you want to preach. I'm here to tell you there are voices even in the apostolic church tonight that are trying to cool down, calm down, settle down, and kill apostolic emotional response to almighty God. It is not time to worship less. It's time to worship more. It is not time to get milder. It is time to get wilder. Clap your hands until your pink palms are red. Owl running is still pleasing to God. Tongue talking is still pleasing to God. Dancing is still pleasing to God. My message tonight is targeted. My goal, my ambition is to move you in your worship and in your praise to God to a new level of unprecedented excitement, exuberance, and emotionalism. I think it's time for us to take our level worship to a brand new level. I think we ought to be ready to say like David, I will be more vile than this. If you think I've worshiped God, you just hang on. I may not be able to do it as exuberantly. I can't do it as long. I can't even jump off this platform like I used to, Bishop. I used to jump off them platforms and run around the building. So I'll tell you what I've done. Let me rearrange the furniture for a bishop. This is bishop furniture. Now, when I used to run around the building, I remember one time at Texas camp meeting, I was preaching at a youth camp there, and their platform used to be about that high. Lord have mercy. I was a young buck full of juice. I got excited. I jumped off that platform. And on the way down, I thought, this ain't going to be good. <laughs> I mean, I needed a parachute. It was a long way. If I jumped off there now, it'd take the rescue squad to pick up the pieces. So what I've decided to do, just because I can't do woo, what I used to do, don't mean I can't do something. I speak to you senior citizens tonight. Just because you can't praise him like you used to praise him, you need to find a new way to praise him. So this is my lap around the church. I'm still making laps, but they're just a little bit shorter. Woo! Somebody shout amen. My message tonight is to give you a principle, a platform, and a purpose to elevate your worship. When I found this most interesting story in the Old Testament, in the book of Esther, I became convinced and convicted that our foundation for celebration and praise has been greatly shortchanged through the years. Even in the apostolic Pentecostal church that is renowned and famous for great praise. By the way, let me pause and thank you for what you just did. Thank you for praising God exuberantly, excitedly, and emotionally. 
Don't let anybody intimidate you about being a one God apostolic. Don't let anybody intimidate you about being on fire for God. I love what our daughter said when she went to the first grade in Garner, North Carolina. That's back before a lot of people spoke in tongues, before it was famous and popular like it is now. She went to school one day, and, and somebody asked her, said, you mean you go to a church that speaks in tongues? She said, you mean you don't? <laughs> There's nothing wrong with us. There's something wrong with y'all because that's the way they did it in the Bible, and that's the way we still do it. Even with our exuberance, with our excitement, and with our emphatic, exaggerated response to God, I'm here to preach tonight that I am convinced that we still are only giving God about half the praise he deserves. About half the praise he deserves. And I'm gonna make it clear to you tonight why I say half the praise. The book of Esther is one of only two biblical books in the Bible where the name of God is not mentioned. The book of Esther, the name of God is not found there. The book of Solomon, the name of God is not found there. You can search the 10 chapters of Esther and you will not find the name of God in it. However, there seems to be a great source of encouragement in its non-existence. If God was not in the book of Esther and involved in Esther's life, how did Esther, a Jew, become queen? And how did the enemy of God's people end up humiliated, disgraced, hanging from the gallows he had built for Mordecai? And how was the Jewish nation spared from the diabolical plot of Haman to annihilate every Jew? Let the record show and be advised, just because God does not autograph his work does not mean he's not the author and the architect of the avenging, delivering, and defending of the people of God. I've come to preach to you, when you don't see him, he's still on your side. When you can't see him, he's still working for you. The songwriter penned it better than I could express it. When I don't see it, you're working. When I don't feel it, you're working. You never, ever stop working. Some of you may be asking tonight, I just don't see God in my life. Well, let me ask you, if God's not there, how did you get to be where you are, who you are, and what you are? It's only God that brought us to where we are. The entire Jewish nation was spared by a divine intervention of God. God used this little lady, Esther, to bring deliverance to the people of God and to foil Haman's devastating plan to kill all the Jews. I love the fact that the Bible said in Esther chapter six that the king could not sleep. <laughs> you might want to try this if you can't sleep. The king could not sleep, and so he called for a reader to read him the record of the Chronicles. Now, if that don't put you to sleep, that's better than melatonin or somnix. Just start reading that stuff. And as he read, they discovered that someone had exposed a diabolical plot to kill the king. And so the king said, hey, this man that, that, that foiled this plan to kill me, overthrow me, what has been done to him? Has, has he been remunerated in any way? And they said, no. They said, well, go out in the courtyard 
and see who can find out there. And there's old Haman with his papa's self marching around in all his grandeur and glory, a legend in his own mind, strutting around out there. And they said, the king wants you to come in. And so the king says to Haman, what shall be done unto the man whom the king delighteth to honor? Haman said, thinking it was of himself, well, I'll tell you what I think we ought to do. Get the royal apparel of the king and, and, and put it on this man. And get the king's horse, the one that even the king rides himself. Put that man on it. And oh, let's make it even better. Let's take the crown that was on the king's head and let's set it upon this man. And let's bring him on, on horseback. And let's let, let's let a crier go before him, holding the reins, screaming, This is a man that the king honors. <laughs> this is a man that the king honors. Every bit of that Haman thought was going to be on himself. But God reversed his diabolical plot, humiliated him, and lifted him up. Between now and the rapture, I'm going to tell you what's about to happen. There is one more great biblical revelation. We've had the revelation of the name. We've had the revelation of the spirit. We've had the revelation of worship. We've had the revelation of our relationship. There's one more revelation coming just before the, the rapture. And that's going to be the revelation of the bride. Just before the rapture takes place, God's going to say, this is my bride. I want you to know these are my people. He said, I will make them to come and bow down before you and know that I have loved you. There's never been a greater day to be who we are, have what we have, and be where we are. So they took Haman and his sons and they hung him on the gallows that was built for Mordecai. Haman built it to hang Mordecai, but he ended up hanging there himself. And so when all of that went down and the Jews were so excited that they had, they had gone from extreme sorrow to great joy, that the Jews instituted what would be called the Feast of Purim. It would be a celebration much like Christmas every year. Everybody that was Jews were to participate in it. They were to light candles, rejoice, give gifts one to another and celebrate. And this is what I'll preach about for a few minutes. This is what the Feast of Purim was all about. It was a celebration of what did not happen. They threw an annual celebration gave gifts, took days off, and had a good day celebrating what did not happen. Haman tried to kill every one of us, but we're gonna throw a party every year and celebrate it didn't happen. It did not happen. Those who study Jewish tradition will tell you this. When they would read this story every year to the Jews so that the children, everyone would stay acquainted with the fact that what could have happened what would have happened, maybe should have happened, did not happen. Every year they celebrated that. And so they would read this story. And when they would come to the part where they read Haman's name, all the Jews would boo. Boo! <laughs> Every time Haman's name was mentioned, you couldn't even hear it because the Jews were booing so loud because he tried to annihilate them, destroy them, and God reversed him. But God intervened in their life. Every year they had a feast.
to remember, rehearse, and rejoice over what did not happen. Most of our praise, most of our worship is dedicated to what God did. What God did in my life, in my home, in my family, in my church. That's why we're only giving him half the praise he deserves. The other half is not what did happen. The other half is what did not happen. What did not happen. That's half of our praise. From now on, I want this church to come in here and celebrate all right what God did do. But we're gonna now lift it to a new level and we're gonna shout about what did not happen. I pause just a minute to say to some of you ladies, to say some of you men, some of you boys, you need to run the aisles tonight and celebrate that that engagement never was fulfilled. You better thank God you didn't marry that person. You better thank God that disease did not kill you. That divorce did not happen. That car crash did not take you out. That doctor's prognosis and forecast never became true. You got out of that prison situation. It did not happen. We could have died, lost, and be rolling in a red hot hell tonight, but it did not happen. It did not happen. You could have lost this precious life right here. You could have lost your precious pastor's wife. But I got news for you. We're going to shout because it did not happen. There's not a grave in Denison with her name on it. There's not a heartbroken pastor. There's not children without a mama. That's the feast of Purim. Celebrate what did not happen. I'm talking about the close call. I'm talking about the near miss. I'm talking about a bad brush with casualty, catastrophe, calamity that did not happen. Remain standing just a minute. In 2015, 2005, I had a heart attack. The doctor said it's my second heart attack. First one I didn't even know about. But the doctor said, whoever brought you to the hospital, which was my son-in-law, the doctor said he saved your life. My son-in-law have a wonderful relationship, but he's a very quiet, tight person. After the event, he told my wife. He said, when I got up that morning, I, went, I was on my way to bury somebody when I had a heart attack. On the way there, I started feeling real bad. My son-in-law took me to the hospital. First of all, you may be seated. First of all, I called my wife. And I said, I told Brian, my son-in-law, Brother Ballestero, I said, uh, he said, Dad, let me take you home. I said, first he said, let me take you to the hospital. I said, no, I'm going to go to the hospital. He said, well, let me take you home. I said, well, I got to call Patsy because if I pull up, she had already said that week, something's wrong with you. You're not right. 
You need to go to the doctor. This is on a, this is on a Saturday. I said, okay, I'll go, I'll go Monday after the weekend. So that morning when my son-in-law got up, he said he was dressing, and the Lord spoke to him and said, don't let him out of your sight today. Don't let him out of your sight today. So I was going over to do this graveside funeral, and my son-in-law said, Dad, I'm going with you. I said, no, Brian, there's no need you go. I'm just going to go there and do a little service, and I'll be back. You stay. Dad, I'm going. I said, come on, Brian. You don't need. He said, Dad, I'm going with you. I didn't know he was under a divine mandate to be with me. Doctor said, whoever took you there, saved your life, 2005. If my figures and my facts are right, today there are three grandboys. Bishop, I would never have known them. Three grandboys would have been looking at a picture. And their mother would have said, that's your grandbuddy. Uh, you never got to meet him. You never got to hear him preach. You never got to go hunting with him. You never had vacations with him. You never ate one of his steaks. My grandboys love my steaks. Let's go to grandbuddy's house and have a steak. If that, if that heart attack would have taken me out, there would have been three grandboys I would never have known. But I got a word for the devil. But God. But God. It did not happen. I want to pause just a moment and give you an opportunity to preach a little bit of this message to yourself. Because you know your story better than I know your story. But every one of you know there were things that looked like it was going to happen. But it did not happen. There were circumstances that looked sure and steadfast, but it did not happen. So I'm going to ask you tonight, before you leave this church, you're going to have to give God some wild praise like you've never praised him, not for what he did, but for what he caused not to happen. What did not happen. What the devil appointed, God disappointed. What the devil intended, God prevented there's another half of this that we haven't even given attention to. That's why from now on, we're not going to just praise God for what he did. We're going to praise God for what did not happen. Start right here and just kind of jog this way. We're going to stop somebody running this church. What are you shouting about? What happened? Nothing happened. It's what did not happen. I'm not running about what happened. I'm running about what did not happen. Look through your life right now. Remember it, remember it, remember it. But it didn't happen. Have you praised God for what did not happen? You may be seen. I'll preach this another moment. Whew. Pastor, I was sitting in a funeral home attending the funeral of a man that I knew in our city. I went there, was not there officiating. I was just there as a friend. And I told my wife, my daughter was going to the doctor that day during that time that I was sitting in that funeral. And they would give her the results of whether she had breast cancer or not. Sitting in a funeral, I got a text from my wife. They confirmed Christy has breast cancer. That's our only child. It was like a mule kicked me in the chest. I mean, my breath left my body. And I thought, oh God, oh God, 
But I'm here to praise God tonight. What year was that? Do you remember the year? 2018. The devil told me she was going to die. Pastor wouldn't have a wife. Our grandbabies wouldn't have a moment. A morning. A, excuse me, a mother. But as Bruce Howe would say, and I hope he gets his tape, you know what? <laughs> it didn't happen. You know what? She's alive, praising God, leading choirs, writing songs, having revival, being a pastor's wife. Come on, we need to praise God for what did not happen. Every day I say thank you, 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 thank you. Thank you for what did not happen. Thank you that it did not happen. I remember the story about the bishop's wife. I may not get this just right because I heard it probably five times down the line from where it happened. You're, you're free to correct me. They were in bed one morning and, and their dog jumped up in the bed on Bishop's face and started licking him and tormenting him. And he thought the dog lost his ever-loving mind. I think maybe he said something. You better get off of me before I knock you against that wall. Something like that come out of his mouth. But what the bishop didn't understand was, I don't know if it was a stroke or what, what was that? Was it a stroke? The bishop's wife was hanging half off the bed on the other side having a stroke. And that dog would not quit until Bishop Gilbert woke up and looked to find his wife in that debilitating situation and got her to the hospital, got her help, and she's here today. It, it wasn't just about a year or two that he had that very serious, serious, serious heart situation. But thank God it did not take him out. Thank God it did not take him out. Stand to your feet, clap your hands for what did not happen. For what did not happen. Remain standing. Just a few weeks ago, you might think if you live in the same city with your family that you could see each other a lot of times. Well, I'm so busy preaching and traveling the world. My, my son-in-law's pastor church, you know how they're, they're up to here involved. Got five kids. Lord Jesus. <laughs> One kept us busy. Five kids. And so we, we really don't have a lot of time to be together like we'd like. Of course, my wife would like them to move in with us, you understand. Or her to move in with them. A number of years ago, before my son-in-law became pastor, my wife said to me, she said, she's a, a very wise woman. She said, uh, have you talked to Brian about being pastor of this church? Have, have you, y'all got something going? I said, no. She said, well, you better talk to him. He's an outstanding pastor, great preacher. My daughter's musically inclined, phenomenal musician, singer. And she said, some church is going to call them. And they're going to leave us because all you have them doing is being youth pastor." You better find out if he wants to be the pastor of this church or not. And she said, furthermore, I got news for you. If they leave, I'm going with them. <laughs> and what I said was, I give up. I can't. 
what do you want me to do? She said, I think you better have a meeting with him. So I called him into the office and said, Brian, I need to talk to you. Brother Mahaney, a dear friend of ours, all of, uh, the older folks knew Charlie Mahaney. When Brother Mahaney come preach for us, he'd always say, Ballister, you turkey, I think you married a job, didn't you? You married a job. So I brought my son-in-law in. I said, Brian, I need to ask you, are you here just because you married Christy, our daughter? Or are you here because you feel God's called you to be the pastor of this church? He said, I feel God's called me to be the pastor of this church. So at that time, I said, when I'm 65, we'll have a vote, and I believe you'll become pastor of the church. And that's exactly what happened. So my, my grandson went to Bible college where most of us find our brides. Many of us do. Did y'all meet at Bible college? Oh, thank God. <laughs> Exception to the rule. No, they don't meet at Bible college now. They meet online. Met her in West Monroe, Louisiana. Alexander. You mean her in the Because of the Times? Oh, man, what a testimony that would have been. How spiritual that would have been. Camp meeting, okay, yeah, great. So my grandson, Huntley, he gets married to a beautiful young lady. Phenomenal, beautiful, consecrated, dedicated. She's one of the singers on the North American Youth Congress platforms almost every year. She'll be there this year, one of the lead singers. Phenomenal, phenomenal talent. Beautiful girl, loves God, very consecrated. I was so thankful. So we were having a meal with them just a month or so ago. Her name is Abigail Hayworth Ballastero. So we were having a meal with them. One of those rare moments, joined fellowship. So the, the little party breaks up, and everybody goes their way. My wife and I come home. My wife gets a text from her niece and just in passing conversation, she said something about, well, I was out on Highway 401 a while ago, and there was a horrible car crash. And she said, it was a Volkswagen. She didn't know anything. My wife kind of got in a little panic mode. She said, was it a yellow Volkswagen? She said, it was. I thought, oh, God. That's Abigail and Huntley. They just left us in that yellow Volkswagen. Man, my eyes went... I went crazy. I dialed his number, no answer. I dialed her number, no answer. I'm getting into a panic. I called, I called Brian. I said, listen, I don't mean to upset you, but this is what Loretta said. There's a terrible crash on 401. It's a yellow Volkswagen, and I can't reach Huntley or Abigail. I've tried, tried. He said, well, I'm going to go to the crash site. I said, well, I'm going to their house. I jumped in my car. They lived about 10 minutes from us. Started driving over there in my car, and all the way over there, I said, oh, God. Don't let it be, Lord. Lord, when I get to their house, I round that curve where their driveway is. Please, let me see a yellow Volkswagen in that driveway, Lord. Please, God, no. Don't let this be Abigail and honey. She said, whoever's in there is probably dead. It was a horrible crash. All the way of Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. God, don't let it be. I rounded the curve down their road. Bing! A yellow Volkswagen was in their driveway. I never called them. I never told them. I turned my car around and went to speaking in tongues. Hallelujah, Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for what did not happen. 
Why don't you step out tonight? We're going to multiply our praise. We're going to multiply our worship. We're going to celebrate not only what did happen, we're going to celebrate the Feast of Purim, what did not happen. Clap your hands and thank God for your own story, your own testimony, your own personal miracle. What God prevented that did not happen.